Hello, my name is Edward Canford-Dumar and I'm here with three guests to discuss questions most of us probably think we know the answer to. Whether religion is the reason for much of the conflict in today's world, and is it fair in this context that the religion you think of first and foremost is Islam? Of course it is, many would say. Look at the Middle East, at Syria and Egypt, Israel and Palestine, the Sunni and Shia. These are irrefutable and inescapable facts. But are they? And is religion the major cause of war and conflict, past and present? Or is it more complex than that, often depending on how closely religion is linked to the state or power structures? And might it just be that religion is the driving force behind peace initiatives, often unpublicised, and that things would actually be worse without it? Well, to discuss all this with me are Jahangir Sarosh, President Emeritus of the World Council of Religions for Peace, the world's largest interfaith organisation, Majid Nawaz, co-founder and chairman of Quilliam, a UK think tank committed to matters of integration, citizenship and identity, but once jailed in Egypt as a member of the radical Islamist group Hizbuturiya, and Peter Cave, chair of the Humanist Philosophers Group of the British Humanist Association. First, though, welcome to Things Unseen, CTVC's programme for those of you who think there's more to life than the material world, who may or may not have a faith of your own. If you are intrigued by things seemingly beyond human reason, the very meaning of life, in fact, things unseen is for you. So, faith and fighting, religion and violence. Peter Cave, as a humanist and atheist, you would probably agree that religion and religious differences drive a lot of the violent conflict we see in the world today. Um, yes, I certainly do agree with that. I think religion, and it's indisputable, I would have thought, has been responsible for much violence over the years, over the decades, over the centuries. We can think of the Crusades, we can think of the Inquisition, and we can certainly think of what's happening with certain parts of Islam today. I would think this was obvious, and your initial comments about maybe these facts are disputed, I think pretty clearly ought not to be disputed. And so I'd have no doubt in saying that many, many cases of violence are the result of religion. Um, be it at the level of the individual, think about the fatwas, think about filmmakers who get killed because somehow they offend Mohammed, and equally so at a much larger scale, and just think of, therefore, the, to my mind, the violence of oppression to women in some Middle Eastern countries. I would think that's obviously the case, and the world would be much better without that oppressive religious feeling about the world. Okay. So, Jahangir Sarosh, that's the case against religion. Do you think it's fair? Is religion a major driver of violence? I would say it's certainly not. Not a major driver. Uh, certainly, it is a driver of division, because by nature, when religions claim to be exclusivists, that is when the problem arises. That is when the other becomes the enemy and seen as being different. But then that particular element also applies in the political field. There have been very few wars that have taken place because of religions. Certainly the crusade and things like that in the old days, and I say the old days, were related to that. But in recent years, there has been a tremendous change between religion and secular society. Religions now have accepted the fact that they are not exclusive. Even the largest of religions do not claim to have the only way. And funnily enough, one of the things that surprises me about humanists is they now seem to be claiming that theirs is the only way, and there is a division being created there. Majid Nawaz, how does this square 
with your own experience? Because as a, a young man, you were attracted to radical Islam, uh, not least because, as you explain in your autobiography, you saw it as a powerful, even violent response to the, the racism you experienced when you were growing up. Well, I'm no stranger to religious extremism, having once subscribed to a heavily politicized version of Islam and now being amongst the forefront of the challenge against that particular ideology. I'm no stranger indeed to what Peter speaks about. However, I think that as in all things in life, one must be fair and realistic. When I joined the group that I joined at the age of 16, I joined because of identity politics. I joined because of political and social grievances. And I assumed I exploited an interpretation of religion, speaking as a non-devout Muslim. I exploited an interpretation of Islam to empower me and to provide me with a political and social identity. It was an ideology of resistance, no different to the totalitarian ideologies of resistance, the secular, non-religious totalitarian ideologies of resistance that emerged in Europe in between World War I and World War II. Fascism, communism, and Nazism were non-religious, secular ideologies that led to the deaths of millions. Essentially, what we have a problem with is people that are black and white in their thinking, and that's the real problem. It's people that are illiberal, not people that are religious, and that can apply to secular people, it can apply to religious people. Majid, isn't it correct that in the process of your radicalization, Islam was used as a reinforcing tool to convince you of an Islamist message? In fact, perhaps you would just explain the difference between an Islamist message and an Islamic message. That's a good point. The difference is that Islam, a faith, and everyone can understand what a faith means, whereas Islamism is a political ideology that is defined essentially in one sentence, and that's the desire to impose an interpretation of Islam over society, either by law or by force. For me, whichever route is used, even if it's a a legal route, it's Islamism and is therefore reprehensible, is therefore repugnant and must be challenged. So Islamism is that political ideology that seeks to impose an interpretation of the faith over society. The vast majority of Muslims are not Islamists. In fact, the vast majority of Muslims are victims of Islamism. They suffer at the hands of Islamism. So, Peter, you're not being fair. Everyone's being tarred with the same religious brush. One or two points spring to mind. At one point, I think Jay was saying that humanists think this is the only way. Well, humanists only think the only way is one of toleration to allow different religions to flourish, but not to impose themselves onto others. A second point is that um, my colleagues here are very much speaking about their understanding religions, not being exclusive, and so forth. In contrast, though, many, many people, indeed millions of people, seem to be committed to the idea that their religion is the one and only way. If you are a truly religious believer, then you think you've got hold of the truth from some sort of omnipotent being. I'm assuming we're talking very much of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. If you have that backup, then it's an uneven playing field, so to speak, with regard to reasoning, because you think by reading the Quran or by listening to the imams or listening to the bishops, you know the truth. And once you are up against that type of dialogue, then, of course, when you're trying to deploy reason and evidence and so forth, you can't win against the so-called omnipotent God. Majid. What you haven't addressed is the statement that you led with, that somehow being a believer predisposes one to truth claims that others are immune from. Now, I made a point, which is that Stalin, 
that Hitler, that Mussolini were as guilty of those truth claims, yet secular, as certain religious followers. And so the real issue is a quest for power and a quest to abuse certain evidences or certain knowledge or certain fields for that power, whether it's religion or science. Do you agree with that? Just because you can point out how certain secularists or certain political movements can abuse power, it doesn't follow from that that it wouldn't be a much better world to have religion not in it abusing power. I come back to the earlier point, namely many, many religious believers are not open to discussion because they say, here is the answer, it's in the Quran, or here is the answer, it's in the Bible. They look at the Quran and they say, ah, oh, yes, women should be dominated by men in some way. Or they look in the Quran and say, if you leave the Islamic faith, having been born into it, then you should be killed. Jahangir Sarosh, if everyone was like you, liberal, fair-minded, there would be no problem with religion. But in fact, there are a lot of people who don't have your basic attitude. They are intolerant. They're fundamentalists. They take the word of the book literally. You said a lot of people do that. That is where I would totally disagree with you. Because when you look at the world population, where five billion people or more claim to have allegiance to religion, and a handful of people, the extremists that has been referred to, are the people who can cause the problems. That applies in every walk of life. And don't forget that 50% of the Eastern world population is Eastern religion. There is more to religion than the three Abrahamic faiths. You know, Zoroastrianism believes in moderation. Buddhism believes in the interconnectedness of all. So there are morals which need to be reminded by the religious community, and that word community is so important, because unless there is a community, provided it doesn't attack the other community, we need a community to be able to do things. Peter? All of us have been guilty of just talking about religion, because by religion at the moment in this society, we do tend to think very much of Islam and Christianity and Judaism. In the West? Yes, indeed. That's why I said here. But you're certainly right. If we're going to start thinking about those religions which just preach toleration, for example, and my guess is that those are the religions which do not sort of look to some almighty, all-powerful God who gets very jealous if you don't follow him, who will smite you down if you don't agree with him, then by that understanding of religion, then yes, that's easy going. There's no problem there. We're talking about those religions and those believers who are committed to some all-powerful deity who is telling you how you ought to live. That is violent in many ways. One way in which it is violent is a violation against the human spirit because it's trying to make you think, hey, there's an authority there. I, like a child, must follow that authority, come what may. It also is a violence against morality because many people are then doing that in order to get to some sort of eternal life because if they didn't do this, then they'd be going to some sort of hellfire and damnation. I'm sure you around this table do not believe those sorts of things. I'm sure many sophisticated leaders of the churches do not believe this. But I can assure you, if you go around, you can hear many of these claims being made by Christians and Muslims. You can still go past churches in Great Britain, and they say the wages of sin is eternal damnation. That is an horrendous, nasty thing to say, as well as being false. It's a bad thing to impose morality onto society. So therefore, I hope Peter joins me in condemning the French model, where they ban the headscarf 
as much as condemning the Iranian model, where they impose the headscarf. I think the problem here, fundamentally, is one of a lack of liberalism, a lack of allowing people to choose. And as theocratic people can be illiberal, as can secular people. And that's the issue. We've seen that recently unfold in Egypt, where it took a military coup, a fundamentally undemocratic, illiberal military, to come into power to oust an illiberal Islamist verging on theocratic state. And so this dichotomy between let's force a certain morality on people or let's ban people from following their own personal morality is what I have a problem with. And when I hear things like this from intelligent people like Peter, it makes me worry because the end game ultimately of this form of atheism, this form of secularism that attempts to stamp out all religious uh, uh, devotion by deeming it somehow fundamentally irrational and, and inferior, the end game seems to me to be the sort of scenario where we start, as this happened in France, where we start bringing in laws to tell women how to dress. What does it have to do with us? We should leave people alone. And those same people, if we expect them to leave others alone by not imposing the headscarf on them or not imposing the beard on men, then we should leave them alone and let them wear a headscarf or let them have a beard if we want. So the issue is liberalism. I show my one bit of French by saying, au contraire, I have no objection at all to individual people being religious believers. What I object to is when they are trying to impose their belief, their so-called values, onto others. It just is a mistake to imply that the vast majority of Muslims, the vast majority of Christians, do not seek to impose their morality on others. They do. They do with regard to um, laws against euthanasia. They do with regard to laws against abortion. They do with regard to laws about dress and so forth. By which surveys and which statistics do you refer here? Um, just, just talk to some bishops in Great Britain. That's anecdotal. Actually, sorry? That's anecdotal. See how they voted in the House of Lords against the assisted dying bill, then, <clears> for <throat> an example to do with euthanasia. See what they say about the status of the fertilized egg. Yeah, but you just said the majority of believers. Now you're referring to anecdotal examples. I, I'll give you surveys where they've d tested the views of religious believers okay. who have said they do not wish to impose... Okay, let, you're right to correct me. I'm talking about the majority of the leaders of the Christian church in Great Britain. I'm talking about the majority of the leaders in Islam, to the best of my knowledge. I suspect if you actually did a head count of those leaders, you'd find I is correct. Jahangir Sarosh. Currently, there are 110 interreligious councils worldwide with every religion of that particular nation state who are working together. I can give you dozens of examples of religions which are working. Currently, in Syria, for example, the religious community is working together. The religious community in Bosnia-Herzegovina was instrumental in drawing up its constitution and getting it amended. It is working on truth and reconciliation. So religious communities of yesterday are not the religious communities of today. They are working together. And I think it is important that when you speak about religion and fighting, you're talking about globally. If you are referring to particular issues with one or two religions because of their missionary zeal, which if you believe that you have got a good way, the good path, the Tao, the Dai, then you want to propagate that. But, of course, one propagates that by being a witness to it, as the Christians have been in Africa, for example, where they have 
50% of the hospitals and 54% of the education implements which have been formed by faith communities. But what about supposedly peace-loving communities, the Buddhists in Myanmar or in Sri Lanka, who have been completely against the tenets of their religion, somehow stirred up to attack the Tamils or the Muslims? That was, once again, political, geographical, and without a doubt, every institution seeks power, and it seeks power by the concept of divide and rule. Well, why is it then that that in these cases, the peace-loving, tolerant aspects of religion are completely um, trumped or disregarded by the practitioners? When the practitioners feel insecure, security and happiness are the two elements that are the fundamental elements that religions give. And that can be abused. Humanity needs freedom and security. And if you can convince people that the other is an enemy and there are many easy ways of doing it, like the Nazis did with the Jews, then it is so easy to be able to convert people to do the negative things against their faith community. Peter. Rohingya, if you are really going to put forward this idea that some of these religions are now coming together, they're going to be highly tolerant, they're going to chat to each other, they're going to be friends with each other, they're not going to impose their views about abortion or euthanasia or the treatment on women on others, then obviously we're going to have no problem with that sort of religion, are we? The problem is, though, is that many religious believers, and we needn't get into an argument about the majority or not, but millions of religious believers, just look in the Middle East, look in Great Britain in certain areas, believe things on the basis of authority which allegedly derives from this omnipotent God, and hence it's not up for grabs. Think of the Catholic Church's objection to contraception. The violence on women as a result of that, and indeed on men, through the spread of AIDS in Africa and in South America, is a clear result. That is not because someone has reasoned through about the badness of contraception, but because some typically elderly men over many centuries have read the Bible in such a way to draw the conclusion that contraception will lead you to hell and not to heaven, to put it crudely. I repeat the point because Peter seems to continuously ignore the point that there are secular people that impose their views on others well, yes, as well. So, like the, the French system, yeah, of course. So, exactly the point, which is that religions do it, secular people do it. So, if as a humanist you're upset about anything, it should be being upset about the imposition of any values over people. And so, allow no, me to on. say, allow me to say that what really our rallying cry should be isn't against religion because by doing that we alienate our potential allies who are the vast majority of religious believers who do not like the extremists that are lording it over them. Our rallying cry should be to liberalism. It should be to tolerance, not against anything, not against religion. If you campaign on a negative, what you end up doing is tarnishing a whole bunch of people who will only hear from your words what they hear when Dawkins speaks, which is you're an anti-religionist. Actually, if you call people towards respect and tolerance and liberalism, then you will, at the same time, those who are upset about the French imposing a ban on headscarves or the Swiss imposing a ban on minarets or Islamists wanting to impose uh, beards and the headscarf, you'll be able to isolate exactly what the problem is and bring those who agree with you on the need to have a humanist liberal society based on religiously neutral values that doesn't impose or ban religious practice. 
Isn't it correct, Jahangir, that all of the tolerance and the gains of religion have essentially come from the Enlightenment? I totally agree uh, that religion has to evolve. Humanity has to evolve. If we believe what was true 2,000 years ago and still believe that is true when the world has changed, that would be very wrong. Every religious community, every religious teaching emphasizes the aspect of choice. If you read carefully in everything, the discriminating mind, whether it's in Hinduism or the choice or things like no compulsion in religion, for example, is always left to the choice. That is the beauty of humanity, that it has the choice between the good and what I would call not good. What is the outcome of that choice if you make that choice to leave Islam in, say, Iran? Uh, uh, what is the outcome? Or if you make the choice in Saudi to be a woman and to go out driving and not wearing the burqa. But that is more political, that is more particular. So the thing for, I for, get is no, whenever anything's bad, you say, oh, well, that's on the political side. When no, anything's good, that's no, on the no, religious I'm side. No, I'm not at all saying that there are many aspects of uh, things. Look, take the concept of slavery they take, that came in, which Plato and uh, Socrates said was okay. Who was it? It was the religious communities eventually saw the light and removed the concept of and slavery. And there are many religious communities who opposed the removal of slavery. But, but, it's uh, a big uh, enlightenment battle. Yeah, so but, is it but, a question but, of good religion and bad religion? It's a question of good ideas and bad ideas which cut across religious and secular divides, frankly. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. So my thanks to Jahangir Sarosh, Majid Nawaz and Peter Cave. I'm Edward Kanfajuma, and you've been listening to Things Unseen, the program for people who think there's more to life than the purely material, whether or not you belong to a faith community. Things Unseen is brought to you by CTVC. And you can hear this program again and find other editions of Things Unseen at www.thingsunseen.co.uk.